Hey there, everybody, and welcome to Cinema on Tap, your weekly movie podcast with a refreshing selection of movie reviews and industry topics on tap for discussion. As always, I am Scott Lenz, here with my co-host and drinking buddy, Christian Ubius. Christian, how are you this fine Labor Day as we are recording on the national holiday? I was working. Yeah, you were. I, <laughs> I felt bad for you. I was not. I went up to my so. boss and I said, hey, happy day of labor. Happy happy day of labor for this Labor Day. A big shout out to those of you out there. If you are also working on Labor Day, thank you for your service, whatever you are doing. If you're like me and you got to take to, got to take today off, I hope you enjoyed it by watching a movie of some kind. Perhaps the movie that we're talking about on today's episode, Lady Bird, as we continue down our high school or modern high school movie rotation here. Uh, Christian, I know Lady Bird is sort of, well, I should say not similar to a movie we talked about recently, but it's downstream of something we talked about recently because we just talked about Barbie a couple of weeks ago and we're already back on the Greta Gerwig train. So I'm wondering if we should do a Little Women episode sometime in the near future just to complete the set or what? I, doing Little Women is dangerous. Um, <laughs> dangerous? <laughs> This is why. Because I've told you one of the movies that we're going to be discussing next year in February. I already forget. <laughs> okay. I, I I have next year February planned out for us. What a guy. And next year, like, that movie is, is... I've told you that if you were to force me to write down five movies that are better than that movie that we will be discussing, I can't find five movies. Little Women, I know, is one of your favorite movies of the 2010s. Oh, for sure. It's, it's one I unfortunately have not seen since I saw it in theaters, but I saw it January 1st, 2020, and I remember writing in Letterboxd that if the rest of the year was as good as Little Women, it'd be a year for the ages. Uh, and it was a year for the ages. In not for that reason. <laughs> not for that reason. <laughs> so I was kind of right. Uh, but... It's, it's, I'm, I love talking about my favorite movies. It's just that it really messes up the, uh, the, the awards at the end of the year. Yeah, we got to figure out a way to either make our own, give our own awards or make it more. We are. We, yeah. we, 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 we've, we've been tinkering on that. I've told you what my plans are for that. Namely, renaming them, which that will, that will go over better, I think, than the previous name. This we should discuss this. Should should we be the sole people who give out the awards? Because we invited Nick onto our top five episode. That's true. Should we invite people onto our top ten episode? Do we want to keep the awards as our thing of two things? I don't know if you have strong feelings about it. We need to we need to have a production meeting. That's just an excuse for us to go to a brewery. That's, <laughs> <laughs> We're doing field research. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, stay tuned, folks. December we'll have some fun stuff coming we up. We have three Star Wars movies. Fighting for Best Picture. Well, there's two Star Wars movies fighting for Best Picture, and unfortunately, you like the other one. <laughs> but... Okay, we have two Star Wars movies fighting for Best Picture. Fine, let's not get into that argument right now. Um, also, Lady Bird. Also Lady Bird, which according to you is a masterpiece, and I'm looking forward to unpacking that. Before we get there, of course, we like to... Get a little taste of something. Pour that three ounces out and try some some maybe light, refreshing, and airy before we get into our more uh, more yes meaningful heavy tap for later 
on in the discussion today before we get to Ladybird. I, I wanted to say, I know that you wanted us to discuss a little bit about of, of industry news. And there's actually one big thing in industry news that I know you're going to love talking. But should we also talk about Greta Gerwig's career? Or do you want to save that more for the intro? More, We'll, we'll talk about Greta when it comes to Lady Bird itself. Because we'll do some background. And we already talked a lot about her for Barbie purposes. Oh my so. goodness. I We've been talking a lot. And honestly, we should be talking more about Greta Gerwig. Amen. Amen. We'll do a whole, we can do a whole uh, a rotation for her acting career before she started making films. Frances Ha. Mistress America, yeah. Owl Dogs, White Noise. I mean, I Mumblecore. Not, yeah, I mean the whole Mumblecore thing happened way before uh, a lot of that. It was happening concurrently, I suppose, with Francis Ha and um, the other one you just said that I'm on. Wasn't it Mistress America? Mistress America, yes, with Bombac. But I mean, her. You know, a lot of people like to. The, the film nerds like to remind folks that Lady Bird was not actually her directorial debut. It was her solo directorial debut because she co-directed a movie called Nights and Weekends. I've not seen it. I, not a lot of people have because it came out of this small-time indie film movement called Mumblecore, which, as you can imagine, with a name like Mumblecore, it was focused on a lot of talking. <laughs> very, very naturalistic or sometimes, you know, black and white maybe, but again, not... Big budgets, very small projects shot in practical locations, sometimes non-professional actors. There's a lot of names of people who were involved in this world. Joe Swanberg is the other director of Nights and Weekends. He's a big name in that space. But yeah, Mumblecore is maybe a conversation for another day. But that is where Greta got her start in, in film in general and eventually what helped her get into Hollywood. The, the thing that I want to talk to you when it comes to industry news. Mm-hmm is something that I know it is really, really prevalent in your life. Which is the, the Taylor, Taylor Swift, Swift yeah. Air concert film. That's right, folks. I woke up the day it was announced and was already the proud owner of six tickets to AMC <laughs> because Maddie had woken up before me, saw the news, and just bought tickets. So <laughs> I will be there it with was, it was <laughs> some ex- of my family. It's excluded from A-list, which meant I will not be in attendance. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Christian. For shame. If you missed this bit of news, folks out there who are listening along, the Taylor Swift Eras Tour, which has been racking up money across the USA, and we is now... Taylor Swift and Beyonce touring yes. at the same time. Phenomenal time for, for female... Uh, pop icon uh, concerts, I guess. I don't know if we would, if Beyonce would technically be a pop icon or if she's more cross-genre. I just don't mean to be reductive because she's Beyonce. But yeah, huge, huge time for concerts. And Taylor is bringing hers to theaters. And the Eras Tour is going to be a concert film that is already pacing to be the, I think, most successful concert film of all time. I mean, some of the box office trackers who are following along with these pre-sale tickets are talking about how it could potentially be a $100 million event at the movies, which would be insane. <laughs> what okay, What do you do at a concert movie? Do you stand up and sing? I, I can almost guarantee you that people will be doing that and it will be very annoying when they do. But I mean, I think the purpose is to go and enjoy the concert but get sort of a filmic spin on it because this isn't a documentary and they, they, i don't think so and taylor swift isn't like talking in between songs to the camera saying why she's just doing the errors to her i think it's just yeah. 
What what are the other two that come to mind? Justin Bieber's Never Say Never, which I think is right now at number one. Is <laughs> never that... Say Never. I think so. But is that considered a concert film? Because I, I have not seen Never Say Never. I was... I For shame. Aged, <laughs> aged out of, uh, of Justin Bieber. I never aged into Justin Bieber. Yes. Well, that's I... not true. I Love Yourself, I think, is wonderful. But that that came that came later. That was. But that's not post Justin Bieber. That's still Justin Bieber. That's that's true. It, it was when he was maturing, you know, oh, putting out right, right. putting out that Remember when more there was, deep music. There was a petition to throw that man out of the country, and then he released the song "Sorry," and we were like, "Yeah, bro, come on, you can stay. Don't worry about it." Here you go. Never say never is considered a three D. It's a three D concert film. And it grossed $99 million. It's 3D. Yes. Back in okay. 2011. I'm, okay. I'm a, I actually don't know if this was released in theaters, but the only other concert movie that comes to mind that's not like a full... Well, I mean, is Stop Making Sense a concert movie? Absolutely. Okay. Because yes. I've never seen it. I just don't know if it's a music documentary. And then there's also what, Hannah Montana, the best, best of both worlds concert. <laughs> Isn't that a movie? Uh, probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stop Making Sense is considered the one of the best concert docs of all time. It was directed by Jonathan Demme, who a lot of people will know from Silence of the Lambs. And it follows David Byrne and the Talking Heads at one of their performances. I am not a huge Talking Heads fan, and not anything against them. I just have never really listened to their music, and I liked Stop Making Sense, but I know a lot of people consider it to be just a, not just one of the best concert docs of all time, but can, in consideration with best films of all time, like people really, really love Stop Making Sense. Not a huge box office success, but relative to its budget, it was back in 1984 when it came out. I know Katy Perry's Part of Me is one of the more recent examples, and even that came 2013, maybe? Yeah, 2012 the, or 2013. The concert film hasn't died out, obviously, but we're okay. getting a lot of music documentaries that are more about the, the artist than about their concerts and their tours. But the Reputation movie did come out on Netflix and was a yeah. big deal. And this is different, but Beyonce released her visual albums for Lemonade, mm -hmm. um, which I think that she has plans to do a visual album also for, for Renaissance. And that visual album was like streamed by everyone on HBO when it premiered. And there was also, um, she released Black is King, which I believe is a music, it, it, it's a music related movie, which I'm not too sure about, which came out after... I think it was based on some of the music that was made for the Lion King remake. Yes, you and are that correct. Was also streamed on Disney Plus. The only maybe Hamilton, which came out on Disney. I know that's a musical. Well, yeah, Hamilton. A, it's a musical. I yeah, get that. Hamilton was just a production, like a filmed production of the musical with the original cast. So that was there's some actual filmmaking to it, of course, because it's not just like they set a camera in the back of the room and then they let the musical play out, but. It is definitely just a capturing of the musical, which hopefully that happens more often because Broadway is in New York and you and I live in Los Angeles, which is very far from New York. Have you seen a Broadway show? I've yeah. seen one. Well, yeah, I, I've gotten to see a few in my in my life. Usually, not usually, predominantly when I lived closer to New York in the great state of Ohio, <laughs> but have gotten to go back a couple of times since moving out here. Yeah, there, There's a lot. There's a lot going on, but I think that the Taylor Swift news is the biggest news. Also, that she's... Didn't she get a waiver to start filming her movie or something along those lines? Which I also don't understand because 
isn't she touring for like the rest of time? At <laughs> one point, did she have to film this movie that's supposed to be her directorial debut? Yeah, so she has a deal in place with Searchlight, which is now owned by Disney. It's a f- former. Oh, Fox so there's no way that they have a deal. Yeah, there's so no way they have a waiver. I mean, I don't, I don't think so. So it's one of those things where if you look it up, it'll say untitled Taylor Swift film, where she is apparently writing and directing a feature. And I don't know when that's going to happen because, as you said, the Eros Tour is going to be running for a long time. It is going to be running well into 2024. There are, I know, people who got on the wait list or managed to buy tickets for shows in the United States in October of 2024. So that's over a year from now. And I'm sure that after she's back in the States that maybe work can commence on the film because... She is usually performing over the weekend or maybe on a Thursday to Monday type of block of time. And when you've done the same concert, a lot of times I'm sure it becomes muscle memory, especially when you're performing your own music. And I'm sure that there will be time to work on her script or work on the pre-production process around the tour. But we shall see. I've done plays and eventually I just know what I'm doing. I can turn on autopilot mode. It, and that does get tricky, but you know who, what, whatever she wants to do, go for it. She's making tons of money. Um, she's bypassing the entire studio system by not having a studio release it and releasing it directly to AMC. Yeah, that's as it pertains to us and our show, that's one of the coolest things about the Eras Tour, where she, man, she was basically shopping it around for a theatrical release, going to the different studios, and they kept allegedly lowballing her or not offering her a big enough slice of the pie. So she actually skipped the studios and went to AMC theaters directly. And apparently the CEO himself negotiated the deal and AMC gets to act as the distributor for this, what's going to be an incredibly successful movie, which guarantees her a bigger piece of the pie because there's no studio involved. It's just a deal directly with the theaters. And I'm sure AMC is going to make a killing off of this too, because it's going to be in not just AMC theaters. It's going to be in Cinemarks. It's going to be in Regals and whatever. So this is actually really interesting when we're considering things in light of the strike right now. When we're seeing people getting waivers to work on or promote their films because the studios that they're working with have chosen to abide by SAGs and the WGA's terms, or seeing people who just sidestep the studios for distribution. I think this could be a really interesting, I don't want to say killing blow to the studios, but certainly something that will, a speed bump for their negotiations as they start to see people who would be considered talent, like Taylor Swift, making money without them. I am curious to see how the Eras Tour ultimately does financially and if it has any rippling effects on the industry, especially when it comes to musicians bringing high-level, high-interest concert films to theaters. We'll see. uh, There is a thing, though. Taylor Swift can do this. I don't know if everyone can do a concert film because the Eras Tour in and of itself, you all know someone who at least knows someone who's going to the Eras Tour. I mean, I would be number one in line if Paramore were to make a concert film. And I know that a lot of other people would. For some of the other bands that I listened to, they were releasing concert film. First of all, it would not be going to AMC. Second of all, whatever streamer it end up ends up in ends up being like a ends up being an afterthought. 
And the, I mean, I, I saw part, it, it's like a one night with one Republic kind of a thing on HBO Max, yeah. back when HBO Max was the thing. You know like how more much of, I, More of an event than a, like a one night or one to, weekend thing as opposed to a, a film released into theaters for an engagement. I found that by accident by scrolling through their A to Z list. So it's, yeah, it's... Just got bored? <laughs> or, I, I, no, I, I, I've done I, I that. like One Republic. I do. I, nice I was time. more. I was more talking about the A to Z desperation oh, yeah. search. You've done that. You've, I've you've done that for sure. Done that. <laughs> I've uh, absolutely done that. You know who did, however, get a waiver to promote their movie? Adam Driver and the good folks of Ferrari. We should be talking about how Venice and Telluride are going on right now. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it because when I think about the Telluride Film Festival and how I'm not there, it makes me sad. Um, Francis Ford Coppola from Megalopolis. Are you serious. Which, he had got a waiver for his actress to promote it. Let's go. But there is no news on when it's coming out. There's <laughs> Megalopolis. No... Megalopolis is going to be either an absolute all-time disaster or the greatest film ever made. <laughs> Just I'm, I'm convinced it's going to be the next Citizen Kane or the next whatever greatest film of all time you want to put up there. Or it's going to be an absolute dumpster fire. And I, I honestly don't care what it is. <laughs> I just can't wait to see it. We know nothing about this movie. Just that it concerns with people who live in New York who are undergoing a transitionary period in life. And Adam Driver's there. And Shia LaBeouf. And Shia LaBeouf. And the... Uh, wait, <laughs> I, is, isn't Aubrey Plaza in it? She might be. I think <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so that that was my, my taster, my, my little glass here, Christian. It's empty. I am very glad you brought up Taylor Swift, because of course, I love when we get to talk Taylor Swift here on this show, but it actually does portend some interesting things for the industry when all of the Swifties, myself included, hit up AMC's Nationwide in October to watch the Air Store after already attending the concert. Do you know what the cost of an adult ticket is? Yes, I do. The cost of an adult ticket is $19.89, which folks may know is the next Taylor Swift album being re-released, 1989. It's also the year she was born. Also the year she was born. We almost share a birthday. We're only a couple of days off. She's December 13th. I'm December 15th. Just missed it. You lost? Dad, I know you're listening out there. You and Mom, you could have almost. I almost had that, but I, I don't. So, thanks for nothing. We're now going to move on. I don't know. I... I... Please start talking about Lady Bird. I, I, can't with, I can't with that. I cannot with that. There's, there's a decent chance that gets cut in post. Now, Christian, taster glasses are empty. We've set them in the sink. We're going to wash them later. It's time to get back to that old keg that we tapped last week as we are getting back to modern high school movies. This week, of course, talking Lady Bird, written and directed by one Greta Gerwig. And as we mentioned, her solo directorial debut, not directorial debut in general. Christian... When did you first see Lady Bird? Because I know you were re-watching it, as was I, this time. I saw it the year that it came out twice in theaters when I had Movie Pass. Movie Pass! Rest in peace. It's back, but I'm sure... I don't know if it's the same. It's, Probably I think, not. I think but... it's watch two movies for the price of one. And so what they do now is it doesn't cost anything to have. I don't think... I don't know... But I think primarily it's their deal with the movie theaters is, hey, let the people who have our pass watch two movies, but they're only paying for one ticket. Honestly, a decent enough deal when you live in a place like Los Angeles where movie tickets are crazy expensive. So 
Especially if you're into. far away from an AM. If you're far away from like a chain that has its own thing, yeah. then it, it is actually a, a good deal. Yeah. So, if you have not seen Lady Bird, it is a semi-autobiographical look at senior year of high school, really, as Christine, a.k.a. Lady Bird, goes through her senior year and deals with her family, deals with friends, and ultimately the desire to go to college and go far away from her family which causes some strife with her mother ladybird is played by sir sharonin the titular character shall we say and it features some other great actors in the supporting cast notably tracy letts lucas hedges timothy chalamet beanie feldstein and laurie metcalf who is playing ladybird's mother who is also nominated for an oscar alongside sir sharonin and greta gerwig uh, for best picture best director and best original screenplay Ladybird did not win any awards at that Academy Awards ceremony, Christian. And I'm curious, if you're looking back now, if you would take an Oscar away from someone and give it to Ladybird. That year, if people are unaware, was the year that Shape of Water won. So Guillermo del Toro also won Best Director. You also had Call Me By Your Name, Darkest Hour, Dunkirk, Get Out, Phantom Thread, The Post, and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri up for Best Picture and nominated in a lot of other categories. So, looking at the Ladybird specific awards, anywhere where you might I would take, take a that Oscar away from Guillermo del Toro and give it to Greta Gerwig. <laughs> oh, Guillermo. I know you love Shape of Water. There are dozens of us, Christian. Dozens of us. <laughs> there very much so are dozens of you. Now, I will also say I love Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. It has been... I've seen it more than once. I laugh every single time. I've even read the screenplay for it. I'm a big fan of it. Um, which is why I don't know what I would do in Best Original Screenplay. Best Original Screenplay, I think, went to Get Out. I think I went. it went to Jordan Peele. Yes, it did. I now... Very, very innovative, interesting, cool... Is it my favorite screenplay? No, but like, I'm not mad that it was given out. Um, everything else i mean i do love allison janney in best supporting actress and i do love Frances mcdormand in best actress and in best picture i i just don't in best picture i just don't know who i would give it to three billboards or ladybird but best director 100 percent would take that oscar away and give it to greta gerwig i i have a funny relationship with guillermo del toro because i saw the shape of water relatively early in my del toro homework i guess like I, I hadn't seen a lot of his other movies before that and the shape of water might still be my favorite guillermo del toro movie which is probably the case for like five percent of gdt fans <laughs> but a lot of times i love the design and the creativity of his movies without loving the stories that are told or so they're you know finding other flaws within them and the shape of water <laughs> still is my favorite of his so it'd be hard to give it away especially because at the time I really loved the fish sex movie, and I hate it when people called it that. But this year's also incredible, with movies like Get Out and Lady Bird and Phantom Thread, a movie that I, like a grown-up adult, love, and that you, like a little baby, do not like at all. But, I told you I will never discuss Phantom Thread with you on this podcast. And that is uh, your loss. But there's also movies that are, some that are, you know, like I haven't seen Call Me By Your Name, and I know that people love that movie, and I still would like to see it someday. 
There's I've also seen... stuff like Darkest Hour, which I love and very few people do. Like, I think it's... I'm really happy that Gary Oldman won for this because it's... Yeah, it's a biopic, but it's an incredibly entertaining biopic with an unbelievable performance at the center. This is the first year where I saw every single Best Picture nominee, and it began the trend of me watching every Best Picture nominee before yeah. nominations came. This might be the last year where I haven't seen every Best Picture nominee. You know, I say that, but I still haven't seen Green Book, so never mind. <laughs> but, yeah, a very good Oscars year that I feel like some people don't love this year. But I am a huge fan of a lot of these movies. And again, coming out when I was late in my college career, I went to the Tyride Film Festival through my university. That's where you saw Lady Bird, right? And it's where I saw Lady Bird, as well as Darkest Hour, as well as The Shape of Water. So I was really caught up with Oscars in a lot of categories this year. Yeah, I, I was a, a big fan of a lot of these movies. Okay, back to Lady Bird, Lady Bird specifically. Last couple things to mention here before we just start unpacking the movie. Um, was a big box office success. It was made for a small budget, $10 million, and it pulled back almost $80 million, and, mm-hmm. and that starts Greta Gerwig's ascent up the box office ladder with Little Women making something like $200 million, again, being a literary adaptation that's well, pretty impressive. Barbie made just impressive. a little bit. And then Barbie, you know, a little drop in the bucket maybe crack in the top 10 perhaps or otherwise being the number one film of 2023 question yes is Oppenheimer crossing the one billion mark I don't know if it will get there but I want it to I know <laughs> like I really want it to cross yeah. one billion it's already at 850 million I think or something along that line I mean the fact that a three hour biopic about J. Robert Oppenheimer the scientist behind the Manhattan Project and the ultimate uh, you know, father of the atomic bomb. The fact that this movie has made nine figures at all is utterly unbelievable. And the fact that it's even coming close to a billion is just gobsmacking. So I would love to see it get there because I love Christopher Nolan and I love to see him get big budgets and <laughs> movie stars to work with him. Uh, all right, Christian, any, anything you want to mention about Lady Bird before we get into our review? There's this part in Lady Bird. Where she, Saoirse Ronan's character, Lady Bird, buys a playgirl. And I was, I, I, I remember, because I, this is the fourth time I've seen this movie. I remember that I was showing it to some friends of mine and I go, I need a, because you see, you know, several men's penises. And I'm like, I need to, I need to fast forward past this scene. And no. so I press pause to be able to fast forward because I wanted to stop it and press pause right on the images. Well, that's what you get for trying to skip that scene at all because it's like a blink and you miss it. (laughs) Unless you were showing it to some children and I don't know why you would be fast forwarding that. But nonetheless, that's the only nudity in Lady Bird that we need to discuss and we can get into our review. Yo, I forgot how funny the sex scenes in this movie are. Uh, I did not. <laughs> they not the only thing that lived up to my memory. So, Christian, I did see that unusually for you, normally you do not update your letterbox with movies we talk about on the podcast, notably waiting weeks to post Oppenheimer and Barbie until we talked about both of them here, so I don't get a look ahead at your thoughts and you don't spoil anything for the show. But for Ladybird, you have already updated it with your rewatch. Gave it five stars and declared it a masterpiece. So you're actually wrong. I didn't say it was a masterpiece. I said, who am I kidding? This movie is perfect. Okay. Say it. No, you said masterpiece, didn't you? Perfect. Okay, you said it's perfect. So let me correct myself, Christian. You say it is a perfect film. So I'm curious, especially now, this is your fourth time watching it. 
what stood out to you on this rewatch that got you to say this is a perfect film? We've talked about Greta Gerwig. A running through line in many of her movies is the idea, not just that they're coming of age stories, not just that they're women in transition stories, but everyone around them is also in a transitionary period. And sometimes it's a major character like Ken alongside Barbie. Or in Little Women, all four women, and it is most notably Saoirse Ronan and Florence Pugh's character, are trying to figure out where exactly they are. In Lady Bird, every single person around the Saoirse Ronan character is in their own state of trying to figure out what exactly life is. Not a single one of these people even tries to give the illusion that they know what is going on or that they are confident in themselves. And that, to me, felt like the most honest thing a writer and a director could do. Because you have everyone from the mother who cannot stop herself, Laurie Metcalf's character cannot stop herself from being the most passive-aggressive individual to her. The father, Tracy Letts' character, is struggling from depression that at one point, when they're motioning to him, he's playing solitaire because on the computer because he, he just doesn't want to deal with anything. You have the Lucas Hedges character who is discovering that he's gay and what that means for him telling his family. You have the, you have the, the, the drama teacher who just starts crying in the, in the middle of a dramatic exercise and then later on, after the performance of the musical, Merrily We Roll Along, looks at everyone and goes, they didn't get it. Everyone is trying to figure it out. And whenever you move from one individual to the other, it's they're further along in life. Maybe a couple months have passed. But Gerwig has not forgotten the fact that they are also struggling that they are also trying to come to terms. And when all of that is what surrounds Lady Bird, Christine, the Saoirse Ronan character, it really, really beautifully, carefully crafted the idea of a love for the city of Sacramento in this time, that people here are wonderful people who are trying to make things work, and maybe they never reach a final destination but you try. That is why this movie is perfect. Because every single frame, every single line spoken reinforces that. The theme of transition and of just general life struggles, the, the relatability of that, where most of us have gone through something similar, whether it is a parent losing a job, something pretty serious, obviously, or maybe it's just the fact that a lot of us in this country go to college and we've all gone through that college search process and trying to find the right place to go for us. Or everybody's dealt with a change in friend group and especially in high school. I, I know for myself, I had a pretty distinct shift in the people that I hung out with from my freshman year to my senior year. And I got involved in theater, much like Lady Bird. And that's Partly why, just I was around those people more, you know? That theme of transition, I think, is what makes Lady Bird so resonant. Obviously, aside from the fact that it's an absolutely brilliant screenplay, and it's a it's an artist telling a tale from their own life without 
losing that universality that can be lost in an autobiographical story like this or even getting caught up in the high school of it all i think there's there's still so much to enjoy as a person in my mid you know mid to late 20s now looking back and reflecting on high school but also still still feeling adrift in some ways and not settled in who i am as a person and i remember being 17 and being 18 which is 10 years ago at this point and i remember thinking oh man just like i can't wait to get to college can't wait to get the next thing and, and that's where i'm gonna like start figuring out who i am and i'm still trying to figure it out i i'm with you on, on how well handled and well executed that theme is and, and especially when you can look back on your own life with empathy for your parents or you can look back and see those friends that you wish you hung out with a little bit more before you moved away from each other. You know, all, all of that stuff I think is so, so relatable. Um, yeah, is there a particular scene for you? Like, I don't know if this is even, uh, it's not even more of like a review, but just how, can you connect to it? Like a, a particular scene from the movie where you cringed almost from how relatable it felt? Um, yes. And it is right after... <laughs> it's right after she loses her virginity um this is not me saying anything about my personal life to anyone who is <laughs> listening at home and and if you know me you know that it is not it is when she gets mad because the person she loses her virginity to is timothy chalamet's character kyle i believe is his name at the beginning yes and at the beginning of this review you were talking about how you feel like nobody in this movie really like has a grip of what's going on and is trying to find themselves and what's funny is kyle is kind of the one character who feels like, like he understands yeah. everything he understands the world so powerfully. and we all hate him and we all hate him for being a douchebag <laughs> that's what makes him so funny obviously you're laughing at him not with him but such a a good performance and a relatively small role for chalamet who of course was leading and getting an oscar nomination for call me by your name this very same year but very funny performance and and certainly something where you feel like gerwig is looking back on her own high school years and <laughs> writing the this guy to look like an a-hole because he probably was if this is a real person from her past but we all know people who are like that and anyway after after she loses her virginity to him she goes I don't know. She says something weird about how they deflowered each other, how they took each other's flower. Well, yeah, because earlier they're, they're right, like right. making out at a party. And, and she's she like, says, I haven't like, had sex. I haven't had sex before. before. And he goes sex. like, oh, neither have I. Neither have I. Me yeah. neither, me neither. Um, and then after she says how they deflowered each other, he goes, I didn't lose my virginity to you. Uh, and she goes, what? <laughs> he goes... I lost my virginity to, I don't know, he says some girl's name. He's like, yeah, I probably had sex with six women since then. Or something along those lines. I've lost count. And she goes, you lost count? <laughs> he goes, yeah, who keeps track of such things? And she goes, we're in high school. Yeah. I would 100% keep track of everyone I've had sex with. And then he starts talking, because it, it's, set against, it's not set against the backdrop, but the Iraq war has started at this time. And he goes, do you know how many people have died in the Iraq war? Why are you getting so upset? And she goes, shut up, shut up. Multiple things can be sad. It's not just war. 
And I related to that thing because we all have the people of like, a, oh man, check your privilege type of thing. And yes, we should all be checking our privilege. But if we are upset that something bad happens to us, we can be upset that something bad happens to us and not say, man, being upset is reserved for those people who are suffering from starvation. Yeah. And I mean, that's a foundational lesson of growing up is that obviously have perspective. Yes. And if you are like, it's okay to be upset if say you crack your iPhone screen Maybe have some perspective. The world has not ended and hopefully you can replace your screen or eventually replace your phone. But also, it's okay to be sad about that. It, like It's okay to be frustrated and annoyed by those little things. And this whole situation yeah. is, is bigger than an iPhone screen. It, and you can be upset the person who told you they were a virgin is not a virgin. The, yeah, that they lied to you in the heat of the moment. And you're because not they as, wanted and to have sex a, with you. And yeah, and again, Kyle, like... For how funny he can be, is an important character for Ladybird's just personal development, and you can see the ways that he is so much more important to her than, or yeah, he is more important to Ladybird than Ladybird is to him, and she's going on this journey of self-discovery throughout her senior year, and this crappy situation with Kyle is so key for her stepping more confidently into the person that she wants to be. I mean, half the reason she's dating this guy is like because he kind of hangs out with some of the richer and cooler kids who she's trying to fit in with because she's frustrated with her family's own financial situation and is frustrated that she lives in a not so nice part of Sacramento and that her family can't really afford to buy nice things and she shops at the thrift store with her mom you know and by having this horrible situation with Kyle and eventually breaking up with him it's what allows her to reconnect with her best friend who's Julianne or, or Julie played by Beanie Feldstein and this also leads into her having a really touching moment with her mom and the the relationship between Ladybird and her mother is the bedrock of this movie the, the very first image that we see is the two of them sleeping in a hotel room and they're on the same bed because again hotel room and they're facing each other and it's this very gentle image to kick off the movie of this mother and daughter which spills into an iconic opening scene at this point where their conversation about ladybird's college search that's what they've been doing they've been visiting colleges over the summer devolves to the point where they start arguing and eventually ladybird opens the car door while it's driving and rolls out which gives her a broken arm to start the school year and one time in college myself i had a film professor say that a lot of the best films will tell you exactly what it's about in the opening scene or in the first five minutes. And we watched a couple of examples. And this movie wasn't out at the time. I would go to the Telluride Film Festival with the same professor, and I can't remember what she thought about this movie, but this is a movie that is telling you exactly what it's about in the first five minutes. This relationship between mother and daughter. And I guess maybe not the only thing it's about, of course, but it's so key to the film and, and so relatable, I'm sure, to especially to mothers and daughters, to, to women in particular, where there is, you know, there's a lot of cultural commentary about the relationship between moms and daughters. I am a, I am a son myself, so I can't necessarily connect to that. But, um, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of chatter, a lot of people writing about it, whatever you want to say about how relatable this movie can be in both good ways and bad ways. What did you make on rewatch of the Metcalf performance here as Lady Bird's mom? There is a lot of passive aggressiveness 
like so much and not that i had forgotten that i i there are some things that are just infuriating that the mother character says especially when you see how kind she is to everyone else who was around them <laughs> yeah I, are you are you thinking of the thrift store moment where they know yes yes yeah. yes this I little am. bit where they are arguing about what to what she should wear in the thrift store and this lady walks by and the mom's like oh hey how's it going and like i saw blah blah she said hi oh great good to see you and immediately goes back to her snarky passive aggressive comments to to ladybird it's more so how i don't know if you've noticed this much of this dialogue much of the writing style for the dialogue is big declaratory statements about how they're feeling and it's kind of wonderful uh Without revealing too much, also, this is, it, it's very much so the type of writing style that I appreciate when people are actively not like going on an expository diatribe about what it is that all of their emotions are, but they're much more direct. For example, when, um, like, th that scene where she says multiple things can be sad, like, it's all not, it, it's not just war. Or when, Ladybird very much so says, why are you always so passive aggressive against me and not just countering that passive aggressiveness with her own passive aggressiveness? Or when, <laughs> um, when, when, and, and it's so, it's so direct, even when she chooses not to go out for the spring play and, and the Beanie Feldstein character says, you were given a role. You got the role of the Tempest. The Tempest isn't a real part. It's the titular role. No! <laughs> it's, it's wonderful. And it, it's it's almost like this. This um, The the Lori Metcalf character is trying to draw out all of these thesis statements that Lady Bird is going for. And that is what I most enjoyed about. About it, how much this dialogue is to is to keep saying that, to keep saying, "Hey, I'm frustrated. I don't know why I'm frustrated. I think I know why I'm frustrated, but I don't know what's going on." Yeah, I think one I, I think sweet thing almost about Lady Bird is that Greta Gerwig's real mother is named Christine, and the main character here is Christine Lady Bird McPherson. Mm -hmm. So naming the main character after her mom and not just calling her Greta, which Obviously, when filmmakers make these sort of semi-autobiographical takes, they don't often name the character the same thing uh, as, or they don't name the character after themselves. But her real mom is named Christine and is a nurse, much like Ladybird's mom here. And I really admire and respect the way that she pulls from her own life, but does so lovingly. Like, she doesn't lie about her mom. There's no big dramatic... There's no big dramatic scene where Ladybird's mom is like, my my mother was abusive and like goes on this rant and like my father hit me with a like a stick and like cane or whatever. There's no big dramatic drawn out scene. Like there's comments where Ladybird is like, don't you wish like don't didn't you ever wish your mother wasn't so like mean to you when you had someone and she looks at her and just goes, my mother was, was an abusive alcoholic. alcoholic and then leaves the room. And aside from that, we do see moments of her mom living her own life we see her at work and giving a, a little uh, baby dress to another nurse or a doctor that she works with who had just had a baby this is just again this super thoughtful thing to do for a co-worker is getting something for their kid especially as you know that their family is not doing extremely well financially or just seeing her mom drive through sacramento which 
later gets in a pretty cool moment near the end of the movie you sort of see ladybird and her mother switching places in the same scene it it's sort of cross-cutting between the two of them I, I really just admire the loving look at her own mom and the understanding that, number one, being a working person around this time was probably very hard, especially if you were on the lower end of the income scale and couldn't give your kid the life that she wanted necessarily. But also not being will or not being afraid to put all of the the challenging parts of her mother on screen <laughs> and. I'm sure that these are not, that everything here isn't like exactly arguments and conversations they had, but I'm so sure that some of these things were inspired by real life. Um, it's, and, and the way that Ronan and Metcalf have such amazing chemistry together is what makes this thing sing. Um, they are so good across from each other, especially when emotions are volatile and they can go from being angry with each other to being happy with each other, almost at the drop of a hat, depending on something that comes up. Or even at the end, when she is in college, she is flirting with this guy, and she asks him, "Do you believe in God?" He says, "No, that's ridiculous." And she goes, <laughs> classic like college guy at a party thing to say, <laughs> like, "No, like believing in God is ridiculous." And she goes, "People will call themselves by names that their parents have given them, but they won't believe in God." And that is is it. Like, I'm still not entirely sure what that means. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, at this point, I, she's started drinking, you know? It's like it's like a funny, drunk, college freshman piece of philosophy but, that, like, is kind of deep when you actually think about it. And, 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 and one of those, it goes, you are going to accept some rules and norms of society, but when it comes to something that might actually mean more to you, you're going to choose to reject it. Which... Is, 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 I mean, so I, I believe it has something to do with the rest of the movie. What exactly? Not sure. Well, I mean, notably, she introduces herself to that guy as Christine. Yes, she not, does. Not as Ladybird. And she uses the name that her parents gave her. And I think the connection there, where she's like, if you think God is ridiculous and the idea of God is made up, then why would you go by the name that your parents gave you? Because that was also made up. Well, you know. Yeah, yes, yes. And then the next day, uh, after an entire period where we have seen her not care about the Catholic school that she is in, she ends up going to mass, and she's just kind of like looking at the beauty of what it is that she actually grew up in, and reflecting at that point also on the beauty of what Sacramento was, because at that same party. That guy asks her, where are you from? And she says, Sacramento. And he goes, where? And she goes, San Francisco. Oh, great city, San Francisco. Yeah. Um, we've not talked a ton about the the Catholic school of it all, <laughs> about Lady Bird. I but... loved when they were eating the communion wafers. Just like <laughs> binge eating those communion wafers. It was lovely. Yes. As somebody who did not go to Catholic school, but did go to a private Christian school for my all my life before college, there are definitely some moments here that are funny and that make me reflect on my own experiences. And even though I am not a woman... As you know, as you know, Christian, there is a bit where one of the popular girls that Lady Bird hangs out with for a bit of the movie gets called on for a dress code violation because her skirt is too short. <laughs> and that made me crack up thinking about all of the, the friends that I had who either got called for dress code violations or were annoyed by the dress code because they couldn't 
they you know had to wear the skirts of a certain length it's just those little details that are funny outside of the milieu if, if you didn't attend a private school growing up didn't have to deal with the dress code but that are even funnier if you did <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's just so relatable i mean even christine having or ladybird having this sort of desire to rebel almost is somewhat relatable because you know that she as a character is not really rebellious she is not doing drugs with her friends or getting wasted going to parties that's not really her scene you know she's a very normal girl and and for all of her her flaws her stubbornness and her the cutting comments that she can make to people like she's still just a very normal girl Mm -hmm. and that that wanting to move outside of the the bounds of normal life and live on the edge a little bit and especially fall in with people who are because there's something attractive about them whether it's Kyle who plays in the band and reads books by Howard Zinn or whatever or it's um, I think it's Jenna is that the girl uh, the rich girl who has this like she's rich and has a pool in her backyard and gets you know like has a nice car and like I don't know. There, there's something about being drawn to those people who are living outside the bubble that you are in, or at least drawn to people in a higher socioeconomic class than you are, because there's access to things like a pool in the backyard that feels so relatable. And again, I'm, I know my upbringing. I knew that I had it better than a lot of people that I knew. So that's not even to say that my my life I'm ungrateful for, or my life like I didn't have enough. Um, but it's still familiar to like have that friend, the friend with the Xbox or the friend with the pool or whatever. Who it's like, yeah, I want to go hang out with them because they're really they're really cool. And there, there were a lot of rich people at the college I went to. Was it kind of fun hanging out with them? Sometimes, yeah. Always, no. Sometimes, yeah. I am thinking of another moment with um, what we're we're forgetting. Laurie Metcalf's character's actual name. We've just been calling her Lady Bird's mom. <laughs> her actual name is Marion. She never gets called Marion in this movie. It's yeah, it's it's a couple times. So Marion, one of the the hardest hitting emotional moments of this movie. Near the end, you know, a little bit of a spoiler here if you care about spoilers for a movie like Lady Bird. I think if you read Greta Gerwig's Wikipedia page or you know how high school movies work, that you kind of know where this is going. But throughout the movie, Lady Bird is secretly applying to colleges in the East Coast. Her mom really wants her to go somewhere local. This is, um, I will say, I got this this landed so much better for me now that I live in Southern California and have family in the Central Coast and I'm more familiar with the general geography of California. When Lady Bird gets into Davis and talks about how she doesn't want to go there, but <laughs> like the whole family's like, Davis is a perfectly good school. That made me laugh this time that I didn't necessarily get before. No, people people hate Davis. <laughs> who are who go to Davis. Who go to Davis. Yeah, she makes it she says something like, I don't want to go to a school that's known for its agricultural program, which is <laughs> That's, that's amazing. If you're going to go to Davis, that's what you go for. Otherwise, it's it's part of the UC system out here. It's a good public school to go to. But she's secretly applying to these East Coast schools and finally gets into one after being waitlisted. And her dad has been helping her along the way, kind of keeping it quiet so they can tell her mom at a better time. And ultimately, finding this out is what causes Marion and Lady Bird to not talk for a while. For a while. Like Marion is holding, is holding out from her. 
uh, taking passive aggressive to a new level where she's giving her the silent treatment. And they get to the airport and it's time to go. And Lady Bird and her dad get out of the car. And they're waiting for her to come out and she refuses to. She does a lap around with the car. It's too expensive to park at the airport, which again, relatable. Sure. (laughs) So she she drives off and uh, Gerwig holds the camera on her as she's driving away. And there's a couple cuts to her point of view, looking out and driving the car. But also, in a mostly wordless scene, just... Brings the camera primarily hold on Laurie Metcalf's face and watching her break down in that moment as you realize the gravity of the choice that she's made to basically not say goodbye to her daughter as she's going off to college. That moment, it's it's the moment that you watch and you're like, how could Allison Janney have done this to Laurie Metcalf and taken her Oscar? You know, like It's such a beautiful moment. And it's one where we don't get that that sappy Hollywood ending because she makes it to the airport and the lady bird's gone. She's going through security. She's got to get her flight and and the, her dad, uh, again, is played by Tracy Letts, is there to kind of catch her and, and say like, she's you know she had to go, but she'll be back. She'll be back. Um, just a really touching and beautiful moment. And again, thinking about Gerwig as a writer and a director, she could have filmed that moment from Lady Bird's perspective. She could have said... You know, we're, we're going to hold on Christine as she's going off to, you know, going go, go off to college. Maybe maybe she meets someone else who's flying to New York to go to college and, and they have a conversation or something. But instead, she has that moment with Marion holding on her. And again, I say, looking back on your own life with wisdom and with love for your own family members, even when they've hurt you. And who knows if this is a real episode from her life. But thinking of them in that way when they've hurt you again is is so just an emotional heart string tugging <laughs> for me um I, I have great respect for artists who can find the right chord to strike with things like this especially when drawing on their own life um that one got me i don't, I don't know if you have any other key moments in the movie that stood out to you but yeah floor is yours if you have anything there's a quote that you put in the outline that you wanted us to talk about. Yes. So mention that quote and I'll talk about why I like it. Yeah, so there's a there is a nun at this Catholic school, Sister Sarah Joan, played by Lois Smith, who's an actress a lot of people will probably recognize. She's in a, she's been in a lot of movies. And she's the recipient of a prank where Lady Bird and this other rich girl who she's hanging out with. Jenna. Jenna, yes, with Jenna, who's played by Odea Rush, I should mention. So um, Lady Bird and Jenna have pranked this nun by putting like the cans on the back of her car and writing married to Jesus. Yeah. Um, and so Lady Bird is now afraid near the end of the school year that the sister is going to have some problems with the still and get her in trouble. But she's not. She says it's funny. And she read her college essay. And she finds it so touching how Lady Bird has written about Sacramento. You clearly really love Sacramento. And this is after a whole movie's worth of Lady Bird talking about how she can't wait to leave. Go to the East Coast where culture happens. And instead, she gets praise from the sister for this essay. Where she's saying, you clearly love Sacramento. And Lady Bird says, I mean, I don't think so. Like, I think I just pay attention. And Sister Sarah Jones says something to the effect of, aren't they, like, aren't they really the same thing? Love and attention. So, back to you. I don't, personally, I don't think that they are. Oh, Christian. 
<laughs> I don't think that love and intention are the same thing. But I, perfect film, wrong, not perfect. Because it's a, it's a good thing for someone to say. I I think that love requires attention, and I think that when you look at the amount of attention that is placed on every single individual, even when we've, look at this movie. Even when we've not been with the drama teacher and the drama teacher has exited his position and has been replaced by, this, well, I don't know, one of the coaches in one of the funniest scenes <laughs> that is going on. Starts and directing the play like a football play. It's amazing. Funny. It's amazing. <laughs> and at, at afterwards, we do see how this drama teacher goes to Marion for, for help with his depression. We didn't necessarily need that scene. But the fact that that scene is there makes this movie better because it is paying attention to what its characters are undergoing. I mean, what, what it's a little bit of a heavy-handed metaphor, and yet it works so, so well. Every time that Lady Bird has a crush on a guy or starts dating a guy, she writes their name in Sharpie on her wall. And then at the end, when she's moving out, she paints over it so that it's all white. And yeah, you know, very heavy-handed metaphor for how she's starting with a new blank slate. Clean slate, yeah. Clean slate, but still, it's like attention to detail that these things that were once defining are not being torn away. She's packing everything up and taking it with her, but she, there, there is a starting afresh. It's so much attention to detail that is given in... So many things get referenced in the beginning and get brought back later for emotional resonance. Like when she mentions to her first boyfriend, Danny, that she lives on the wrong side of the tracks. <laughs> poor, yeah. poor Danny, played by Lucas Hedges here. And a couple... I liked Lucas Hedges in this movie. He's really good. And in a couple of funny moments, he, make, he mentions that joke to Lady Bird's parents, which causes an argument later where her parents, her mom specifically... Wants to it go crushes f- them, and yeah. why wouldn't it? Yeah, Lady Bird thinks that she actually does grow up on the wrong side of the tracks. And again, are you ungrateful? Do you think we don't give you enough? And goes into one of those types of arguments. And then, of course, at the end, he is the one who breaks the news that she's gotten into this East Coast school. And it's not Lady Bird and her dad telling her mom together. It's this stranger, this ex-boyfriend, who, who sees them out at dinner at the same restaurant and makes a comment about it. Poor Danny. Poor <laughs> he'll, Danny. He'll never know what he's done. I mean, I think when it comes to that quote, are they the same thing, love and attention? You might disagree, but I think it's drawing on that, I would say the famous quote, I'll ask you to complete it, Christian. The opposite of love isn't hate, it is... Indifference. Indifference, which comes from Elie Wiesel and was quoted by the Lumineers (laughs) in their music as well. But if the opposite of love is indifference, then the, I guess, the end result of love would be attention. And, of course, love can mean a number of different things to different people. Love is is not reductive. It's hard to sum it all up in, in one single word. But I think attention is a good way of putting it. And it feels like there is some, there's some wizened wisdom in Lois Smith's character as she's relating to this high school senior who has been at times a troublemaker, at times, you know, the kind of student you like to have around, someone who's spunky and, and smarter than she knows, and... You know, she gets to have that moment with her of saying something that's stuck with her. And I think that's a beautiful way of almost reframing Lady Bird's perspective where at first she thinks she does not really care for Sacramento. She can't wait to leave. But you also 
get a couple of montages, especially after this moment, one kicks in, capturing Sacramento like it is the most beautiful friggin' place in the world. And it's the most romantic lighting you've ever seen. It's this lovely, like lovely music playing over this montage as Gerwig and her team go out and And capture real locations in Sacramento. Cross-cutting between... Mary and driving and Lady Bird driving. I mean, yeah, like this, but I think that's a, that's, aren't those two separate montages? Like they come at different points in the movie. I don't know anymore. Yeah, where like again, you well, s- it's the same, well, it, it's the same type of montage at the end. It, yeah, and, it, and you see Gerwig reliving her life. And, and again, now getting to look back. She has left Sacramento. She went to New York for college, stayed there sort of making movies. Now she lives in LA and makes giant <laughs> movies like Barbie. But this being her, you know, big solo debut, getting to look back on that place that probably she even misses a little bit, even though it's Mm -hmm. just Sacramento. In the same way that now I look back on where I grew up in Ohio and it's no Los Angeles in in, in a number of ways, but there are also things that I miss about it. There are things that I miss about Ohio, even though I live in California now. It is another element of the movie that is just so relatable. And again, it makes for effective filmmaking, like independent of its relatability, which obviously isn't the only barometer for uh, evaluating a movie, but it just lands, it hits, especially if you are someone who has moved from the place that you grew up in and now go back and visit, but are but live somewhere else. I yeah, it's another another uh, relatable moment with Greta Gerwig <laughs> here. Absolutely here in Lady Bird. Oh man, Christian. Is there anything we're missing? Anything you wanted to touch on before we wrap up this review? Anything we're missing? No. I'm looking at my notes here. I think we touched on everything. We got the senior experience. We got Hedges and Chalamet. Talked about both of them. (laughs) Talked Ronan and Metcalf. Talked about that quote there at the end. Man, I feel like we have wrapped up uh, our thoughts around Lady Bird. What's funny is, for me, it's not quite a perfect movie, but... I I do love it. I think I might have to revisit Little Women and see where it stands. But I, as we reflect on our Barbie conversations, I think Lady Bird is certainly a better film than Barbie, as much as I enjoyed Barbie. And it is one of the finer movies of recent memory. Uh, the last thing I want to ask you, Christian, as it pertains to just the the high school theme that we're doing this month, like, was Lady Bird too autobiographical? Was it like a, you know the coming of age part of it was that more prominent than high school like how do you feel about it fitting into this thing you see i was going to i was going to mention that earlier and that this feels less of a high school movie and more of a coming of age movie but aren't most high school movies coming of age movies to some extent <laughs> yes <laughs> so it, it it's almost entirely set within well that's not necessarily true but it is set within the high school school year yeah that the, the school year forms the structure of the movie. Exactly. Where the beginning is Lady Bird and her mom finishing, finishing up this college tour. The ending is Lady Bird calling her mom from New York where she's going to college. And it's all of that that makes me think, you know, this, this, this is a high school movie. It's... Is it that much of a high school movie? I don't think it matters. I don't know. It's like people who argue whether Die Hard is actually a Christmas movie or not. <laughs> I I come down, yes, Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Uh, for the key reason that Die Hard 
the whole, whole plot would not happen if it weren't for Christmas. But in the same way, Ladybird, structured around senior year of high school, feels like a very important high school movie. But I think naturally, when you think about high school movies, I think sometimes you think about more of an ensemble cast. And this is very focused on Lady Bird as a character and the key figures in her life during that school year. That's fair. Differently from Bottoms, which we looked at last week, Bottoms is about the very beginning of a school year and the events yeah. well, of the first month it, 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 of it, school. It's also very few scenes happen outside of that school. Yeah. I'll, yeah. Most very of much it at, at and, school. And the movie that we're going to be discussing... Wait, the movie we're going to be discussing next week? Almost none of it is actually inside of the school. Because it is uh, near the last day. The end. Yeah, yes. And that movie, well, we should say, Lady Bird, if you have not rewatched it or even seen it at all and you'd like to listen or catch up with it and then listen to this episode or whatever you're going to do, I mean, if you're listening to this now, you've already listened to the episode. Thank you. So maybe if you just want to catch up with the movie, it's streaming a couple of places. You can find it on Paramount Plus, you can find it on Canopy if you get access to that streaming service through your local library, and of course, it is rentable wherever you get movies. The next movie that we will be talking about as we continue this uh, this keg we've tapped here in September going back to school and looking at modern high school movies is Booksmart. So mm-hmm. once again, we have a... We're going from... We're actually like slowly going earlier and earlier in people's careers. So Bottoms, Emma Seligman's second feature. Lady Bird, Greta Gerwig's second movie but solo directorial debut. Now we're going to Booksmart which is Olivia Wilde's directorial debut. We finally made it to a True Blue debut. (laughs) And I'm looking forward to it because I have actually not seen Booksmart, which is a well-loved high school comedy of recent memory. And for a lot of people, they prefer it to Olivia Wilde's second movie, Don't Worry Darling. So You like Don't Worry Darling. I was one of the few that proud and that liked Don't Worry Darling. So I am looking looking forward to checking out Booksmart and seeing how it compares and if everybody's right when they say it's better. You know, we have a guest next week. And we do have a guest next week. That guest is... Natalia Martinez. That's right. So Natalia Martinez, new friend of the show, will be joining us to talk book smart. I was able to meet her, actually, Christian, at a housewarming party you had recently, (laughs) which is better than I have been doing, where normally I'm just meeting the guests live on air. (laughs) So this will be fun. Elias, you met live on air. Yes. Uh, Anthony, you had known before. Because he had come. Because he had come onto the show before, yeah. <laughs> but 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 the last time you met him live on air. Yes. So this will be nice. I at least know the person before we get to talk Booksmart, which unfortunately is not streaming anywhere right now. I know it has been available on Hulu and other places before, so maybe keep an eye out. But for now, rentable anywhere you can rent movies, and you hopefully check it out before getting to our episode next week. We've been we've been discussing a lot of like good movies. Yes, we have. And also movies, I think, a lot of which I have seen before. Yeah. So, I think I'm going to stick... The October movies, I told you that I was setting up. I haven't seen a single one of them before. Love it. And I think I'm just going to keep it that way. Yeah, October seems like it's going to be a lot of fun. So, if you... Feel free to play around with what's actually featured, but I like the idea that you have... And I don't think I've seen any of the movies either that you're working with. So Love that. Should be fun. A lot, lot more first-time watches coming I, up. I will say, I know that you were going to center November around Dune Part 2. Yeah. That is no longer going Poor to me! <laughs> I, I did leave Killers of the Flower Moon available for you if you want to take it, though. Let's go, folks. Killers of the Flower Moon coming to IMAX, baby. Who needs Dune Part 2? We got Marty. We got Leo. We got Lily Gladstone. Coming to IMAX, it's going to be sick. Can't wait. 
there. Um, I think my boss is Matt Leonardo DiCaprio. Well, congratulations to your boss. She, no, we were talking about that today because I was like, Leonardo DiCaprio looks, feels like someone who's not real. And she goes, I mean, I've met him. I've talked to him of like... Yes. One of the last so, movie stars with a private life. <laughs> no, very little public profile. I, well, Tom Cruise kind of has a public profile now. Yeah. Yeah. Now that he can make it about his movies he makes and his commitment to stunt work. <laughs> Less about his Scientology connections. I, I mean, who else? Like, here's the thing. Taylor Swift has a very public life. Beyonce does not. And I'm only mentioning those because we talked about them earlier on today in the episode. But even Beyonce, everybody knows that she's married to Jay-Z and they're seen out and about. Everybody knows who her kids are. Blue Ivy is like at, she comes on stage at the Renaissance tour. So a little bit more of a public life than someone like Leo, who the only times he shows up are when he's promoting a movie with a director or he was spotted on a yacht with some 24-year-old models. <laughs> did you see the tweet that I sent? Yes, I did. Google turns 25 and Christian shared a tweet saying that Leo's going to switch to Yahoo. So <laughs> maybe uh, stick with us. We might get to Killers of the Flower Moon later this year. But until then, thanks so much for hanging out and listening to our show. Hope you enjoyed a beer along with us. Today, we were drinking the perhaps the most iconic cheap beer in America, Pabst Blue Ribbon, PBR itself. Tasty, tasty stuff, especially if you're... Um, Young and dumb like we are, but hope you enjoyed a nice drink while you listened to this episode and enjoyed rewatching or checking out Ladybird. And we'll look forward to watching Booksmart next week. Of course, there are a few things that you can do to support the show that we would greatly appreciate. Number one, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating or a review if applicable to your platform. We really appreciate seeing those five-star reviews comes in. Warms our hearts, of course, but also helps us reach new listeners on those platforms like Spotify, like Apple. So Please do continue to do that. We appreciate it. You can also send us an email to cinemaontappodcast at gmail.com. We are checking that inbox and love to see listener feedback come in, especially if you have a particular high school movie that you love and want to make sure it gets a shout out later on this month as we talk about our top five high school movies. Would love to know some listener picks for that. So again, that's cinemaontappodcast at gmail.com. Again, my dad, I know you're out there listening to this show. If there's a high school movie that you want me to mention from when you were in high school in the 80s, you better tell me so I can feature it on this show. You can also follow us on social media. Christian is on Instagram. Myself and the show, we're on Twitter. And the both of us are on Letterboxd, where we are regularly rating and reviewing the things that we're watching and calling Ladybird perfect, if you're Christian. Wait, we have added a guest for our top five high school movies. Oh, that's right. Let's we'll hold we'll hold that. Well, little little surprise. I mean, I don't know if it's gonna be like <laughs> like the people are, are gonna freak out in excitement about this. Much love to our guests. I, I know he's excited to be here, but we'll hold that. We'll announce it after books. I, I I will say this is going to be the first time that we are able to speak to this guest in person. That is true. Prior uh, experiences with this person have been virtual only, so this this should be good for an in person experience. Until next time, folks, I'm Scott. He's Christian. He did date a celebrity. He did date a celebrity. We'll, we'll leave you uh, on bated breath. That's who it is. There's, there's no way he discusses on air who that celebrity was, though. Yeah, well, probably not because he doesn't want to get like sued for libel or anything. But until next time, this has been Cinema on Tap. Thanks for listening. <laughs>